Okay, so today we get to invite Amber Ayers into our time together. Woo. Yeah. yeah, let's clap. She's amazing. <laughs> We're so thankful for Amber. I don't, um, I've known Amber for a little bit, and I just really value who she is and how intentional she is about speaking truth over women and over even couples and coaching them to discover deeper of who they are and how they have been created. And she does this by a few tools. Like she is a coach, as she is a pastor, she is a mentor. She is so wise. And so I'm so thankful that she is here speaking to us today. Um, and so we're just going to hear from her. But thank you so much, Amber, for investing your time um, into the Women of New Life downtown. We appreciate you. Okay. Woohoo! Here we go. Friends, it's so good to be with you. I was um, remembering that the last time I've done this Enneagram workshop, uh, a number of times. And the last time I was here, we were upstairs and I was pregnant. And Hallie Joy is now three and a half. So I think that was four years ago that, um, that I was able to do Enneagram with the New Life Downtown Moms group. And I'm sure many of you are kind of new on the scene or you've been around for a really long time, but it's just really, um, I'm super grateful to be able to uh, bring this wisdom tool to this group. Um, I always find that it's a powerful, powerful thing when we get to um, see ourselves more clearly and see God more clearly. And if at the end of our time together, our hour and a half, or what, however much time we have, you um, see yourself more clearly and you see God more clearly, then I say that's a win. That would be my goal with this workshop, with this time together. So, um, ooh, Catherine, we didn't talk about how, are you going to be my clicker? Okay. Thank you. Okay. So, um, hey, we are going to dive into the Enneagram. Here's the big idea with this tool. This is an ancient wisdom tool. It's actually been around for many, many years. Some people think it's like 20 years old because it showed up on Instagram last week. It's not. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about the history of it. But um, we only have enough time to do Enneagram 101. I wish we had time for 301, 501, 801. That's deep dive stuff. Um, and I can talk a little bit about if you want a deep dive, I would be happy to, um, yeah, have a conversation with you about that. But suffice it to say, we are going to do Enneagram 101, and we're going to hopefully gain some wisdom about yourself, self-awareness, and gain some wisdom and insight about God, God awareness. So Catherine, go ahead and click through. Here's just a little bit about me. Um, Catherine said, I'm a coach, I'm a consultant. Um, my first career was in pastoral ministry at a sister church, First Presbyterian downtown. Um, and then I married Matthew Ayers, and I was enveloped into the new life world, which has been wonderful. Um, we have two kids, Zeke and Hallie Joy. They're awesome, and they are loved so deeply in this new life downtown um, community, so we're grateful for that. But I started niche coaching and consulting uh, about six years ago, and under that umbrella, I do individual coaching, couples coaching, workshops, um, retreats, stuff in this realm, and I find that the Enneagram is one of the most powerful tools, and it's the most demanded. 
So it's no surprise that, um, you know, Catherine kind of said, hey, would you do an Enneagram workshop with our New Life Downtown Moms group? And I was like, absolutely. Um, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about why I think the Enneagram is one of the most powerful tools, but it's kind of in my toolbox of Clifton Strengths or Strengths Finder, um, personal coaching, individual coaching, couples coaching, that kind of thing. Um, last year, or I should say in the pandemic, um, I also started what's called Sweet Spot Careers with a, uh, a friend and neighbor. Um, she's kind of in the job search strategy realm. She's like resume, interviewing skills, negotiating skills, all that kind of stuff. And I'm in the personal clarity realm. And we decided to combine our superpowers and create what we call Sweet Spot Careers because Clients that she was working with, she recognized that people were not aware of the contribution that they bring to the table in a career transition or in the job search process. Like, if you have vocabulary and language and understanding of who you are, um, you're going to land in your sweet spot, um, and, and the job search strategy is going to be that much more effective and efficient. But people who... Um, don't have that kind of personal understanding or the, the ability to tell their story in a powerful way, um, the, the job search in many ways, it's just, it becomes this frustrating marathon that they just slog through. So we created Sweet Spot Careers as a way of um, saying, let's get personal clarity. Let's understand what you bring to the table, the contribution that you bring to the table, and then let's apply that to an effective and efficient job search strategy. So I only put those up there as a way of saying, um, here's some resources and tools um, that I bring to the table. Okay, would somebody read this passage from 1 Corinthians 12? This might be a, a familiar passage. I always want to begin with centering ourselves in scripture. So somebody with a booming voice, which might be an indication of your Enneagram type. <laughs> read this, please. Okay. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how, will, how would you hear? Or, if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? 1 Corinthians 12, 12, 15 through 17. All right. Just shout out, what do you guys hear in this passage? We're talking about body parts. But what do you hear in this passage? Okay. Equally important. Everything matters. We're different. Okay. We don't have to be everything. Comparison, mm. I'm not an eye, I'm not an ear. Yeah, um, we need the unique contribution of every person, right? We need the eye to do what the eye does best, which is see. And we need the ear to do what the ear does best, which is hear, okay? And what we're gonna talk about today is we need you to bring your best contribution to the world, to your family, to the communities that you are a part of, to your church, to your, um, your friend group, to your marriage. 
There's so many ways and spaces where you get to bring your best contribution. And we're going to get some language and some vocabulary around that so that you can have a greater understanding of yourself and so that we don't fall into the comparison trap because it's way too easy to do that. I have struggled with that, especially in mom world, right? Like, that person's a better mom than I am. <laughs> Clearly, my child is going to grow up and go to therapy. Well, they might all be growing up and going to therapy. But um, I, I have to remind myself and I have to settle myself in centering prayer. Thank you, Catherine, for leading us in that. That if I am an I, my best contribution is to sharpen my sight and bring that to my community, to the world that I inhabit. So Catherine, go ahead and clicky click. Okay. Oh, the, the slides didn't. Um, is this a PDF? How did it import over? Okay, bummer. All right, we're just going to go with it. So it's okay, you can go back. A um, couple things just about the Enneagram, okay? Um, I want to give like a brief history uh, and explanation of the Enneagram, and then we can um, dive into the nine types. Enneagram, in brief, it is um, broken down into Latin, of course. Ennea meaning nine, and gram meaning line drawing, okay? Um, the thing that I love about the Enneagram as compared to many other personality profiles, it's a comprehensive understanding of personality and ways of relating to the world, okay? Um, there are other personality profiles which I love and I use in coaching often. Clifton Strengths or Strengths Finder, how many of you know your top five, okay? There's adjectives that kind of describe um, how you're awesome <laughs> or natural raw talent, right? Um, how many of you know your animal? Lion, otter, beaver, golden retriever, have you heard of those, okay? How many of you know you like what color you are? Um, Myers-Briggs, super big in the 90s, okay? Myers-Briggs measures preference, right? How many introverts do we have in the room? We, we kind of know the introvert, extrovert, yeah. Okay, introverts regain their energy by being alone. How many extroverts do we have in the room? Okay, and then, fun new vocab term, ambivert. Not ambervert, but ambivert, like ambidextrous, ambiverts, both regain their energy by being around other people and by being alone, okay? There's a lot of ambiverts in the world, and when they learn that term, they're like, oh, that's me, thank you for the, the language. Um, <clears throat> what we're measuring when we talk about kind of that introvert-extrovert spectrum or anything related to 16 personalities or Myers-Briggs, what we're measuring <clears throat> is preference. The thing that we want to make sure we're um, talking about when we're referring to the Enneagram is motivation. The yardstick that we hold up when we talk about the Enneagram is motivation. It measures motivation and it helps to answer the question, why do I do what I do? And we're going to get to this towards the end of our time. It helps to answer the question, why does she do what she does? Why does he do what he does? Why does my spouse do that thing that he does all the time? Why does my mom always react in that way? Okay, why does my best friend do that thing? It measures motivation. So the yardstick that we hold up to Clifton Strengths and to Myers-Briggs and to what Disney princess you are is different than the yardstick we hold up to the Enneagram. And when we ask the Enneagram to answer a question that it's not intended to answer, that's where things get a little convoluted. And sometimes people get frustrated 
because we're not measuring behavior. And if you get on the social media and you search the blogs, you will see way too many people misusing the Enneagram because what they're measuring is behavior, right? They're, they're like, well, this person is super aggressive, therefore they're an eight. And it's like, well, that's not accurate. We're measuring motivation, okay? We're not measuring behavior. And we're not measuring preference and we're not measuring raw talent, okay? I want to make that point, I kind of like hit that point, and then I hit it again, and then I hit it again, because I want to make sure that we're understanding what we're talking about. Okay, go ahead, Catherine. Um, it's worth asking the question, why the Enneagram? Like, why would Catherine invite me to come in here? Why have I, in many ways, spent my career now in developing um, coaching tools around this um, wisdom tool of the Enneagram? I think it's important to say the Enneagram is worth our time because if I were to ask the question and go around the room, where are you stuck right now? Each of you would have a different response, right? Some of you would say, I'm stuck in parenting in this realm. I'm stuck in my marriage in this realm. I'm stuck in my career in this realm, okay? The Enneagram gives us wisdom and insight on how to get unstuck. Fascinatingly, and with astonishing clarity, it helps us get unstuck, Okay, and I'm going to kind of highlight and illuminate that a little bit more. Um, there's a, an element of self-awareness that comes when you study the Enneagram. And it's self-awareness that leads to self-reflection that then leads to self-development. Okay, if we are about personal development, if we are about becoming more like Christ, okay, it has to begin with being aware of who God created us to be that self-awareness. We have to see ourselves clearly. And the Enneagram is one of the tools, I think one of the most powerful tools, to help ourselves see us clearly, to help, to help us see ourselves most clearly. Um, I often say, like, the, the trajectory of the Christian life, right, like the end goal of the Christian life is that we would become more like Christ. When you kind of boil it down, like, we are on the journey of becoming more and more like Christ. And Jesus, fun fact, people often ask, like, well, what Enneagram type was Jesus? And I'm like, oh, that's a fun question. I really like that one. Guess what? He was all nine Enneagram types. And we can go in scripture and kind of, like, highlight where his two-ness came out and his nine-ness came out and his sixiness came out. Sixiness. I'll use that a couple times today. That's my fun joke. Um, but if our end goal of the Christian life is to become more like Christ, okay, that means that we get clarity about who God created us to be, and then we bring our best contribution. We bring our best self, right? Because Jesus was the embodiment of the perfect human being. So that begins with awareness. It begins with being present to ourselves, and I'll say this a few times. I'm going to reiterate a few things a few different times, but this entire journey of studying the Enneagram and bringing it into our spiritual realm, into the spiritual life, begins with awareness, begins with being present to ourselves. So self-awareness leads to self-reflection, leads to self-development. And then I think the Enneagram is powerful because it transforms self-defeating behaviors into life-giving personal empowerment. That's a bit of a mouthful, but there are things that each of us do. There are things that I do in my particular Enneagram type, and there are things that each of you do in your particular Enneagram type that don't work for me. 
but I run that rut round and round and round, okay? I often say, and I do a couples workshop, an Enneagram couples workshop, where we look at the dynamic between your two types with your spouse or your partner, and I'm like, I could almost predict the next fight that you are going to have with your spouse based off of your Enneagram type, okay? I could tell you about the last fight or argument that Matthew and I had based off of our Enneagram types because we run this rut round and round. And even with the knowledge of the Enneagram, we've gotten so much better, but even with the knowledge of the Enneagram, right, we still get into that rut. We still love to run, run that super highway round and round and round. Cyclical. Um, but the language and the understanding and the wisdom of the Enneagram helps us to transform those self-defeating behaviors and gets us out of those ruts that we find ourselves in, okay? So here's why the Enneagram is powerful. Okay, next one. Here's another reason why the Enneagram is powerful. This is my favorite slide in the entire workshop. What do you all see in this picture, this work of art, this sculpture? Inner child, what about the inner child? Trapped? Something about seeing? They see, okay? They see each other. Here's what's cool. This is actually a... <laughs> pictures. Um, this is actually a sculpture at a festival called the Burning Man Festival. And here's the cool thing. This is a daylight photo. At night, get this. The little kids on the inside, they light up in the darkness and the cages of the adults disappear into the darkness of the night. How cool, how symbolic. I'm not here to interpret art, but I am here to explain how this allows us, the Enneagram allows us to strengthen our relationships, to gain a deeper sense of empathy and understanding and compassion for the people that we are deeply connected to, our spouses, our parents, our kids, our best friends, our neighbors. Okay? It has everything to do with interpersonal relationships, and it allows us to step outside of ourselves and see ourselves objectively. I have a friend who had been married for like 25 years, and one morning he woke up and he was just like, I wonder what it's like to be married to me. I wonder what my wife experiences day in and day out being married to me. And the Enneagram gives us a language and a vocabulary for explaining that. What is it like to have me as a spouse? What is it like to have me as a boss? What is it like to have me as a neighbor? What is it like to have me as a parent? Okay, it gives us language and understanding and something tangible that we can step outside of ourselves and objectively talk about that, objectively understand that, objectively see ourselves. And it enables you to finally see yourself as others see and experience you. Okay? It's a bit like holding up a mirror and like this is how people actually experience you. Uh, it provides a vocabulary and understanding for personality dynamics and then it provides a roadmap. Okay? There are dynamics in every relationship and we can talk about um, you know, broken relationships, hard relationships, why we have a hard time getting along with these type of people or why when we're in work situations um, it's really hard to get stuff done with these type of people. The Enneagram gives us language around that. It tells a story about why it's really hard to get along with those kinds of people or get stuff done with those kinds of people. Is this making sense? I keep going, Catherine. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into the nine Enneagram types 
And there's a few things I want you to keep in mind before we do that, okay? The first is that you will already know your Enneagram type or you will come to understand your Enneagram type. But I want you to keep in mind that your main type only describes an aspect of who you are, okay? I'm a complex human being. You all are complex human beings. And there is no tool or no wisdom um, authority that can explain the fullness of who you are as a human being. Only God knows that. And that's kind of beautiful and mysterious, right? So when you come to discover your Enneagram type, I want you to keep in mind that it only describes an aspect of who you are. And if you struggle to find your main type, I'm looking at you, my friend. (laughs) She's been on a journey for I don't know how many years of discovering her Enneagram type, right? There is a journey of struggling to discover your Enneagram type that I don't want to short circuit. Because if I short circuit, that short circuits your self-awareness. And we need that self-awareness, okay? We need to take that necessary journey of struggling, like, is this my type or is this my type? And we always bring it back to motivation because the yardstick that we're holding up is motivation. We're measuring motivation, okay? Spend the necessary time. We can't capture it all in an hour and a half, right? Um, Not every description will apply to you, nor will they apply all the time. You will see some descriptions or some characteristics of your Enneagram type, and you're like, yeah, that's not true of me right now. Maybe it was true of you a decade ago, or maybe it's true of you in your darkest hour, but I want you to be able to kind of hold this loosely enough to say, okay, that might be true of me at my best, that might be true of me at my worst, okay? It may not be true of you in this present moment, and that's okay. And then no matter what type you are, you have all nine types in you to some degree, okay? So because we are whole human beings and because the end goal of the Christian life is that we would become more like Christ, it only makes sense that we would reflect the different elements and characteristics of the Enneagram types into the world. Now, people often ask the question, well, I think I was a three when I was like a teenager, but now I'm a six as an adult. And I'm like, well, here's the deal. I don't make this stuff up. There are way smarter people who have um, used this wisdom tool for good, and they have come to discover sociologists, psychologists mostly agree that personality is set by age six. I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old, so right now we're working with like wet cement, right? We are like solidifying, and it has everything to do with that mysterious concoction of nature-nurture, right? You guys know what I mean. My son came out of the womb with a personality, okay? And it has shown up in his five years of life. And there have been events and circumstances and ways that we have parented him that is solidifying his personality. Same with my daughter. You probably all could say that about your kids, okay? That's true of you as a child and now as an adult. And so personality is set by age six. And the way that it manifests itself, the way that it shows up, is different in different circumstances of life, okay? I also think that our ability to self-reflect doesn't really come until our 20s. And so I've done this workshop with some teenagers and I'll say it's gone like mediocre because literally the frontal lobe of our brain does not form fully until 25 or 26. Okay, I don't know if we have any 25 or 26 year olds in here, God bless you, but your frontal lobe is still forming in that stage of life, right? And so we need, we need the ability to self-reflect. Literally, our brains need to like form fully so that we can, we can objectively see ourselves and do the work necessary to come to understand your Enneagram type. Is that making sense? Okay. 
So you're probably asking, what's my Enneagram type? Maybe a few of you took the um, assessment that Catherine emailed out. I love when people, you know, take an assessment and an algorithm shoots out a number and then it's like, this is my type. Okay, it's a starting point. I often say, like, people bring their printout and they're like, this is my Enneagram type. And I'm like, cool, throw it in the trash. Because here's what we're going to do. We're going to take that and we're going to build understanding on what it means that you are a two or what it means that you are a seven, okay? It's best to discern your Enneagram type through story and through community, okay? Ask the people who know you well to reflect back to you, like, yeah, this was true of you. I had my mom tell me a story about when I was two years old, and she's like, you, you showed up like this when you were two, and I was like, okay. So my Enneagram type was solidifying, and it is now true of me in my 40s that was the same thing is true as when I was two, right? The path of the gospel in the Enneagram is the restoration of your relationships with yourself, others, and God. The Enneagram is not the gospel. And I have to make that super clear. The Enneagram is not the gospel. The saving good news of Jesus Christ is the gospel. And it's the, the um, understanding and the wisdom that we gain from this tool of the Enneagram that allows us to heal, that allows us to um, restore the relationships, the broken relationships that we have with ourselves, the broken relationships that we have with others, and the broken relationship that we have with God, okay? It's the saving power of Jesus Christ. That is the good news of the gospel, and we harness the wisdom of the Enneagram in partnership with the gospel, okay? I always, um, when I had a conversation with Heather, right, earlier, um, Oftentimes, some people, especially in Christian circles, kind of come into a, a workshop about the Enneagram, and, and there's some questions like, is this of the devil, right? And maybe some of you have been on the Instagram, the IG, and you've seen this. So I just want to address it up front, because I also recognize that um, there can be some, um, yeah, naysayers. And like, how could you go to an Enneagram workshop? You know, how could you, how could you sit under that um, evil tool? Let me go ahead and address it. Um, here's the thing. A tool can be used as a weapon or just that, a tool, right? Like, I could use a hammer to break that window or to hang a picture on the wall, okay? I want to equip you with the Enneagram to be used as a tool and not a weapon, okay? And the, the kind of comparison that I often make is yoga, okay? Yoga has its roots in not the Christian religion, right? The Enneagram also has its roots in a lot of major world religions. It shows up in early Christianity. It shows up in Judaism. It shows up in Sufi Islam. Okay? But fascinatingly, I think that it helps us see the common thread, which is our humanity. Right? Like, the, my Muslim friend, the commonality that I have with that person is that we are both human. Okay? And the Enneagram speaks to our shared humanity. And so I want to make sure that we um, use this as a tool and not a weapon. And we distinguish the difference between the gospel and this as a tool. And whenever any people um, elevate the Enneagram to the level of gospel news, right, good news, um, I always say ding, 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 no, 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 um, danger, right? And I also don't want to minimize it so much that um, 
We're not seeing the power of this, or we're not harnessing the power of the insight that can come through the Enneagram. So we're, we're using it as a tool, it as a tool, okay? Simply that. And um, I'd be happy to answer maybe some individual circumstances if, if there's other concerns about, you know, Christianity and the Enneagram. Um, I've, I've done this workshop in a lot of different settings, and um, some people have, you know, literally not shown up because they're like, I can't. It's evil, okay? Watch what happens after this workshop in the conversations that you get to have with your spouses, with your friends, and um, does it produce the fruit of the Spirit, right? Like, is there a deeper sense of love? Is there a deeper sense of peace in coming to understand who God created you to be, okay? We will know by the fruit, Okay, so I just want to address that very briefly, but it's important to address it. Here we are, the nine Enneagram types, okay? Um, This is the moment where we get to do a little shuffle and short, okay? Conveniently, you all have eight tables, not nine, but we're going to make a little ninth crowd over there in the four square box. If you know your Enneagram type, I would love for you to go to that table that is numbered, and if you're a nine, go to the four square and set up a little, like, powwow, chair set. Ready, set, go. If you don't know your Enneagram type, stay right where you are. Friends, this is the, oh, look at you nines. <laughs> there's, there's always so many nines. That's awesome. Um, okay, here's how this is going to go. This is a starting point, right? This is how it begins, but If at any point in the workshop, especially as we go through your type or some of the other types, you realize like, oh my gosh, that's my type. I always have this like massive celebration when somebody gets up from, for example, table three and moves over to table seven. And here's why. It is self-awareness. It is acceptance. It is naming who God created you to be. And with that understanding, now you get to set yourself on that trajectory of self-development, okay? If we kind of set ourselves on the wrong path of self-development, it's not going to go anywhere because it's, it's like you're barking up the wrong tree, right? You're starting at the wrong place of origin. So we want to get type right. I said, if you have a deeper understanding of yourself and God by the end of this workshop, I say amen, like that's success. If you get type right by the end of this workshop, I also say that is success, okay? So we're going to go through the nine Enneagram types. If at any point you're like, "Ah, I need to go and accept myself for who I fully am, we will applaud you, and you can go and sit at the table that makes the most sense for you, okay? So here we go. Type one. Um, What are we measuring again when we talk about the Enneagram? Oh, I thought we were measuring behavior. No, we're not. Oh, we're measuring motivation. We're helping to answer the question, why do I do what I do? For each Enneagram type, the way that we do that is we measure what's called core fear and core desire. For ones, ones are called the reformer or the perfectionist, okay? Um, Now, every time that we import language and words into the Enneagram types, um, there's some baggage that comes with that, right? Uh, The word perfectionist comes with baggage, societal, cultural baggage, right? So I actually really like that the numbers are neutral, and um, it can be very helpful when you um, just kind of say, like, I identify as a type one, okay? Or I resonate the most with type one. And then 
we can explain what it means by reformer or perfectionist. Ones are called the reformer because they want to improve. I also like to call them the improvers, okay? They see things and they're like, I, I want to make that better. I want to make that right. So ones spend their lives attempting to make sure that their core fear is not realized, and they spend their lives attempting to make sure that their core desire is satisfied. And we're going to talk about that for all nine Enneagram types, okay? Ones, their core fear is being bad, defective, wrong, irresponsible, or inappropriate, okay? Ones fear being wrong. Ones fear being bad. The core desire is kind of the other side of that same coin. So their core desire is to have integrity, find balance, to be right, virtuous, improve themselves, remember the improver, improve others, and to um, be the good boy or the good girl. One's learned early on in life, there are things that I can do to ensure that my parents or my caregivers will be happy with me, and it looks like being the good boy or the good girl, right? So one's learned early on the way I'm going to kind of get the love and affection and attention that I so desperately crave because we are born into this world with a desire to be nurtured, with a desire to be loved and attention shown to us. Ones adapt themselves to be the good boy or the good girl, right? So they're spending their lives attempting to make sure their core fear is not realized and their core desire is satisfied. Now we're gonna talk about how that shows up. What we're measuring is the motivation on the inside and here's what it, look like. it looks like on the outside, right? This is how it shows up in the world. This is how ones show up in the world. I'm gonna describe some healthy characteristics and some unhealthy characteristics, okay? So when ones are in a good place, when they are healthy, when they are aware, when they are present to themselves, okay, they show up like the self-controlled, serious, idealistic, wise. Oftentimes, people go to ones for wisdom and advice, okay, sages in our world. They're um, organized, hardworking, discerning. They can see clearly, right? But when they're unhealthy, okay, when ones are not present to themselves, sometimes when they're kind of spun up in anxiety, their unhealthy uh, characteristics are that they're demanding, perfectionistic, right? That has some baggage that's associated with it. Um, they can be judgmental, impatient, correcting. That's not quite right. Let me go ahead and fix that for you, okay? Or critical. Over here, if you're on the Instagram, um, there's some people called Just My Enneatype, and they are Christians, and they have some amazing graphics and um, knowledge on the the Instagram. <laughs> I can't talk. Um, and these graphics that I have for each of the nine Enneagram types came directly from them. I screenshotted them from Instagram. Um, so there's a color associated with each of the Enneagram types, and it makes sense that the color for ones is what? Black and white, because ones see the world in black and white terms, right? Ones definitely know this is the right way to do it, this is the wrong way to do it. No, let me go ahead and improve that for you. Let me go ahead and reform that for you. And then we have what's called a sorting question, okay? Now, the sorting question can be helpful if you're like, ah, I'm not sure, I'm kind of on the fence. Somebody just came up and said, I'm kind of on the fence between a, two, a couple different types. And I'm like, pick one, and by the end of the workshop, hopefully you will know, right? So the sorting question for ones, do you have a voice in your head like a recording that regularly criticizes you for what you do wrong? We call that the inner critic. Fun fact, no other Enneagram type has an inner critic, and every Enneagram one has an inner critic. 
Now, I always encourage ones, <laughs> you should name your inner critic something like Martha or, I don't know, Blair or Beatrice or give it, just give it a name. Give her a name or him and then put a four-letter word in front of it and then fire her. <clears throat> I hope this is liberating for you ones because the inner critic is always there, right? It's like this constant companion for ones. And you have, you, part of the growth path for ones is distinguishing between the inner critic and your true self, right? And saying like, hey, Martha's showing up again. Shoot dang, Martha is talking her head off today, criticizing me for everything that I do wrong. Fire her. Thumbs up? Do all of you ones recognize that you have an inner critic? I'm looking at you ones, yes? Head nod. And all the rest of you, do you have an inner critic? No. Okay, maybe, maybe a little bit. Okay, sit there with it. You might need to shift. <laughs> um, now, I, always, I, also, I, I am not a one. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you some hints about my Enneagram type and then you can guess at the end. Um, but I, I also know that I can be critical of myself at times, okay? But I don't have this kind of constant companion in the back of my head. Okay, that's the distinguishing element between ones and other types. Okay, making sense? Let's keep cruising. Let's look at twos. Well, actually, let's go back. Can I just have one Enneagram type one share one short story <laughs> about what it feels like to be a one? Did that make sense? I didn't prepare you for this, so all the rest of the types get ready. It's a very short story because we have very little time. Okay. Catherine, are you a one? No. Okay. You were head nodding in the back, so I just wanted to make sure. I'm realizing a lot of things about people. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Very okay, good. Story, anyone? Anybody? No. 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 Catherine with a K, do you want to share about your oneness? She's in denial. Very short story. <laughs> Maybe I am in denial. Yeah, I was like, I thought um, you were a nine. I don't Did know. Did you switch? It's okay. Here know. we are. We're self-awareness. Maybe I'll switch again. Okay. Um... I don't know. I do like things to be always be better. So one of the things that I tell even my team is that we can always improve. We can always do things better. So <laughs> get creative. And so I don't know like what a story would be, but I mean, if you've been at Palmer, then it, the rooms that the kids ministry goes into, like we have to make that look better. So we bought all these walls and stuff and everybody. So maybe that's a story like, yeah. I don't know, like, yeah. it was ugly. I like things looking pretty, and yeah. so that is, Make I don't it know. better. There okay. you go, make it better. Great. That is a pretty classic one story, make <laughs> it better. Or make it right, okay? From the one's eye, there's the right way and there's the wrong way. And there's lots of other improvers that we have according to type, um, but one's, there's a right way in their mind, Okay. The classic story is um, there's a right way to load the dishwasher and there's a wrong way to load the dishwasher. So if you've ever lived with a one, okay, they come behind you, the dishwasher is ready to be run, right? Like you're pushing the start button and the one comes behind you and it's like, nope, 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 nope. There's a right way and a wrong way. Okay, let's look at type two. Twos are called the helper or the giver because twos believe that helping is the most meaningful way of living in the world, okay? They're called the giver because they're, most, they're the most generous with their time, energy, and resources than any other Enneagram type, okay? 
We're measuring motivation, and the way that we're measuring that is through core fear and core desire. So twos spend their lives attempting to make sure that their core fear is not realized, and they spend their lives attempting to make sure that their core desire is satisfied. So for twos, their core fear is being worthless, needy, inconsequential in people's lives, okay? Somehow dispensable, isolated, or unworthy of being loved, okay? Twos have a need to be needed, and the way that shows up is through the expression of love. Their core desire, the other side of that coin, is to be loved. Now, we would all say, I want to be loved. I'm not a two, but I want to be loved, okay? This is like the primary, kind of the ultimate desire for twos, but the way that that love shows up is through the expression of feeling and the meeting of needs, okay? They want to express their feelings for others, be appreciated, to be needed, okay? Twos have a need to be needed, and at its baseline, that um, filters into all the decisions that they make and the way that they show up in relationships, Um, and they want to get others to respond with affirmation and affection, right? Okay, I hear an amen. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Oh, I should have said this. Hey, you will know that you get type right if you feel a sense of relief and embarrassment all at the same time. Okay? If I hear amens from the table, you know you got type right. Okay? And if you're like, nope, that's not me. Nope, that's not me. Okay? That's good. You're probably in the right space. Okay? That's how you know, like, oh my gosh, did they read my journal? Did they see me when I was 16 years old? No, this is an ancient wisdom tool that, it's an understanding of what it means to be human through nine different lenses, okay? All right, let's keep uh, going. Healthy characteristics. Now, here's what that motivation produces in life. When twos are healthy, these are like the quintessential friend, okay? Warm, sincere, caring, empathetic, generous, altruistic, friendly, productive. They're productive because they meet needs, right? They're the meter of needs. They're like, hey, you, you obviously have a need. Let me go ahead and meet that. When they're unhealthy, okay, this is when they're not present to themselves and unaware, they're sentimental. They can be rescuers. Like, absolutely, I'll go pick you up from the Denver airport at 2 a.m., Absolutely, I will bring that dog into our home. Oh, look, we have five dogs. Um, they can be, can be manipulative, okay? Kind of around the back way of um, meeting needs and gaining friendship. They can be self-denying, flattering, people-pleasing, and possessive. Like, this is my best friend. No, this is my best friend. Okay, that is common language or... Uh, vocabulary for twos. So the sorting question, do you intuitively know what others need but have a hard time articulating your own needs? If the answer is yes, you might be a two. Here's the thing about twos. Oftentimes twos walk into a room and they can feel what other people feel, right? Like that person needs a hug, that person needs $20, that person needs a swift kick in the butt. But if you were to ask them what they need themselves, they're like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. So twos growing in their own awareness of their own needs so that the needs aren't met by other people. That's kind of the around the back manipulative way because twos are often unaware of their own needs, but they have needs. Then they manipulate to get those needs met. Fascinating. Okay. Here's the fun thing about twos. The color is blue and we are in a all female group, but When you meet a male two, it's like 
a beautiful thing, okay? The, the beautiful thing about the kind of neutralizing element of the Enneagram is it, it breaks through gender barriers, socioeconomic barrier, religious barriers, right? It, it speaks to what it means to be human. She's like, yeah, my mom is a two, and we're coming into awareness. No, it's good. I've had a couple. Um, so the color blue is, um, I think it neutralizes the gender normativeness, especially in the Western world, of women being twos, and in particular, Christian women being twos. I will say, like, this uh, Enneagram type is often celebrated in, in Christian circles because it's like, hey, it's the mom who's just, like, serving up the food and meeting the needs of all the people, and, like, hello, she has needs too. We got to pay attention to that. And so all that to say, the color blue also um, represents, like, calming elements in nature, like the sky, the sea, other things in nature that are blue colored, and that is classically Tunis. Make sense? Anybody feeling like you have a short story to share about your Tunis? Um, I can easily give everything away and then be mad later that I don't Resentful. have anything for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like for my neighbors to come in and I'll be like, what else do you need? My husband's like, I hear you in the kitchen saying like, what do you need? And you're filling up their bags. And then the next morning I'm like, I don't have any food. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay, you gave it all away. Terrible. Yep, thank you. That's a great story. Okay, let's look at threes. Three table in the back. Okay, threes are called the achiever or the performer. The core fear for threes is failure, okay? Or being incompetent, inefficient, worthless apart from their achievement, or unable to appear successful, okay? Appearances matter a lot to threes, not just in the physical realm, but in the success realm, the achievement realm. So the core desire, the other side of that same coin, is to be valuable, admired, and respected, okay? Threes early on, married their value with their achievement and their success. And so the lifelong journey of threes is to divorce your value and your worth from your achievement and your success. Okay? So the way that shows up, when threes are healthy, they are the self-assured, successful, competent kind. Okay? Confident, they're great communicators, oftentimes. They can be ambitious. They, they're the getter-donners. Okay? They can be very graceful, winsome, persuasive, and energetic. But when they're unhealthy, when they're not aware and they're not present to themselves, they can be arrogant, status conscious, like here's who's on my elbow, here's the car that I drive, here's the brand that I wear, here's who I represent. Okay? They can be impatient with other people because they're just going, 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 right? Driving, driving, driving. Self-promoting performing and workaholics, like burning the candle at both ends, right? Burning the midnight oil, um, working all the time. So the sorting question is, do you do more than you should so that others will value and respect you? If the answer is yes, then you're probably a three. Here's the thing about threes. I often um, talk with threes, and um, they'll describe, like, the trophies on the mantle and the A's on the report card. And, you know, kind of like they've, they've merged their value and their worth with 
the grades that they got or the uh, achievements that they gained. And so the lifelong journey, again, is separating those two. Um, I have a, a friend who's a pastor up in Denver, and she's a three, and every year on her birthday, she posts on social media, thank you to my community um, that you have reminded me of my value and my worth simply because I exist and I was created in the image of God. On her birthday, she's saying, like, because I was born into this world and made in the image of God, I have value and worth. And outside of anything else that I will ever do, like build a church, like raise a family, like, you know, trophies and grades and all those kinds of things, like, I simply have value and worth. I think that's part of her growth path as a three. I think it's part of her recognition that she has value and worth totally separate from anything that she will ever accomplish on this earth. Make sense? All right, threes, anybody got a story? children. Microphone. Oh. I used to run marathons before I had children and I had a slight identity crisis after I had children because I was no longer yep. a marathon runner or could do that and I still fight the urge to like want to tell people that when it's been like six years you know if like that comes up in conversation. I'm like clearly not a runner anymore but that like urge to come up still to like be um yes known for my success I yep. guess. Known for your achievements. Okay. Hey, you're still a runner. <laughs> okay, fours. Shall we continue on? Oh, yeah, the color. Thank you. Um, orange, fun fact. Orange is the first color recognizable by the human eye. And um, that's why all of our traffic cones are orange and, like, the vests that construction workers wear are orange. So threes enjoy kind of being seen and known and recognized, right? That's the color associated with threes. Okay, fours. We have one four at the table. Yep, own it. Now, this is fun. So I did this workshop with, um, you guys might be familiar with 10,000 Fathers and Mothers, 10K fam. Um, it's a bunch of artists and a bunch of musicians, and I was in a room and there were like 10 fours at the table. Yeah, you were there. That was super fun. Um, but I actually really appreciate it when I do a workshop and there's one four, because they're called the individualist, okay? They love being set apart and unique. <clears throat> so if this is truly your type, we can talk a little bit more about that. Um, they're called the individualist or the artist. They want to know and, and kind of bring their unique self to the world. They're also called the artist. And the art of fours is autobiographical. Okay, what I mean by that is it tells the story of their own unique identity. And this shows up in their core fear and core desire, right? The core fear for fours is being without a unique identity, somehow plain, mundane, flawed, or without significance. So like ordinaryville is nowheresville for fours. Okay, they want to be unique and set apart. And then the core desire, oh, go back, to be unique, special, and their authentic self, right? Same side of the, or sorry, opposite side of the same coin. So for fours, their um, healthy characteristics is that, sorry, we're, we'll get the slide thing. Um, when they're healthy, they're the introspective, self-revealing, transparent, sensitive, self-aware. They're called the romantics of the Enneagram. Um, again, they bring kind of an aesthetic quality to life and to all of their relationships. Um, they're very expressive, artistic, creative, personal. Um, fours will sit with you in emotion. 
They are, I like to call them the deep sea divers of the human psyche. Fours willingly go to dark places. They will sit in a dark room and listen to melancholic music forever. Pick, pick your, you know, your um, mixtape, <laughs> your melancholy mixtape. <laughs> I'm showing my age. Um, but when they're unhealthy, okay, they can be fanciful, okay? Self-pitying, self-indulgent can kind of like turn inward. Um, they can be moody, okay? Like riding the roller coaster of emotion. It's like, I don't know what I'm going to get. Am I going to walk into this house and I'm going to get it hot or cold? Um, they can be temperamental, as I described, fantasizing and self-absorbed, okay? Fours often use language like me, my, I, Okay, that's very indicative of a four. But the, when, so the sorting question, when you feel something deeply, do you hold on to your emotions for long periods of time and replay the experience to relive the feelings? If the answer is yes, you might be a four. The color is purple, and here's why. Purple is the most rare and unique color found in nature. Fun fact. So, of course, it makes sense that fours would be assigned the color purple. How are you feeling? Is it true? Even when I was answering the questions, I was like, "Is this me or is this my like circumstances. long season of yep. very hard circumstances?" But I am like a lot of that stuff. So <laughs> okay, yeah. Thank you for bringing that up, and thank you for being honest. Um, I will say that trauma. And hard circumstances, trauma um, clouds our ability to see ourselves clearly. And so I often encourage people like, yeah, engage in an Enneagram workshop, take an Enneagram assessment, but hold it loosely, especially if you're coming through a challenging season or traumatic circumstances. Um, because we want to be able to see ourselves clearly, but oftentimes trauma doesn't allow us to do that. So thank you for um, your honesty. We appreciate that. Okay, we're going to go through fives. We have no fives at the table. I've done this workshop with, um, like, engineers and IT people, and the five table is, like, filled with, you know. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about fives. Fives are called the investigator or the observer. They love making sense of the world, okay? Investigator because they p puzzle piece together why things are the way that they are. They're called the observer because they have vacuum cleaner eyes taking in information, making sense of all of it. Their core fear is being ignorant, invaded, incapable, or obligation placed upon them. Fives have a literal and a metaphorical bubble, okay? When you talk to a five, typically, they'll, like, take two steps back, okay? And it's not because, you know, they're spreading COVID or trying to not spread COVID. It's literally because they have a kind of metaphorical bubble. They don't want to be invaded or obligation placed upon them. Their core desire is to be capable, competent, to explore reality and remain undisturbed by other people, okay? Other side of that same coin. So when they are healthy, let's look at their healthy characteristics. They are the intense, analytical, specialized. These are the PhD contributors of our world. They find their niche. Excuse me. <clears throat> they write their, their dissertation about it, and that, that's their contribution to the world. Okay? I, I want to give those examples now. Not every five has a PhD, right? Speaking of sp spreading COVID, just kidding. <clears throat> no, it's not. That's not what it is. Okay, 
They can be very focused, curious, intelligent, inventive. They're the problem solvers of the world and independent. But when they're unhealthy, they can be detached. They can get very stuck in their ideas, okay? They get so caught up in their head. They can get preoccupied. They can be very skeptical of other ideas, skeptical of other people. Secretive, they can kind of like uh, turn in. They want to go to the hole in the basement and just study up on their thing. Um, They can be disembodied. Literally so stuck in their heads. I went to a workshop and there was a five on one of the panels. And she was like, I set an alarm every single day to make sure that I eat lunch. And I'm like, oh, wow, I don't do that. (laughs) I just don't forget to eat lunch. But she was so disembodied, like out of her body and in her head, she had to remind her body to fuel. Fascinating. Einstein is kind of the quintessential five, right? Like Einstein contributed amazing knowledge and insight to our world. Also a little eccentric, okay? So the sorting question, when a situation gets emotional or intense, are you able to disconnect from your feelings and then reconnect with them at a later time and place of your choosing? Okay, got it. You're like, this is, this is my spouse, this is my mom, this is my brother, this is, this is important people in my life. Yeah, I'll go ahead and comment on that. Um, you will see your people show up in these types, right? Now, part of how we wield the Enneagram as a tool and not a weapon is that we don't type other people, okay? I've had to resist the temptation to do this because people come to me and they're like, what Enneagram type am I? And I'm like, I'm not supposed to do that. Like, I have a hunch, but only you can say who you are, right? Only you can measure that internal motivation, and only you can have the clarity to say, yeah, this is, this is why I do what I do in the world, okay? Now, obviously, there are behaviors and outward-facing things, characteristics that indicate your type, and there's even, like, studies on how people hold their bodies, like ones, um, fun fact, have kind of pursed lips, and their face can kind of have tension, Okay, eights show up in the world with kind of like a, a bigness, a broadness, which is characteristic of their bodies, literally. Fascinating, okay? I can say more about that, but we're in Enneagram 101. So the color for fives is green, okay? The reason it's green is because um, green is the most mentally stimulating color on the color spectrum, the color wheel. I worked at an architecture firm in college And the walls were painted, every wall of the building was painted a different color green, a different shade of green, because it was supposed to like mentally stimulate us. Fun fact. Okay, so we don't have any fives. Anybody feeling five-ish? Ooh, countdown. Yeah, I know, Karen, you're, you're wondering, you're on the fence, and that's okay. Keep holding it loosely. Okay, okay, here she comes. Catherine's, Catherine's getting in her workout. And it's been seasonal, too. Like, in school, college, I've gone this way. But I, I empathize with the sorting question in that there's an individual in my life who's a two, an unhealthy two. And in moments of confrontation where I think I'm an eight, I have just disconnected from my emotions, and I've gone to my head to help handle all of the emotion coming at me, 
which is what I've seen my dad do, who's definitely a five. So, got it. Okay, thank you. Yeah, fives, um, it's like, I'm not gonna engage that emotion right now. They, they kind of cut off whatever it is. They go to their um, safe space. Sometimes it's a room, sometimes it's the home. You know, It's like, I'm gonna leave the party and I'm gonna re-engage in that emotion on my time. Okay, and that's, that's how fives um, handle emotion because they can be so cerebral, so kind of caught up in their head. Thanks, Karen. Okay, let's look at sixes. Sixes are called the loyalist or the guardian. Okay, we got a handful over there. Um, they're called the loyalist because more than any other Enneagram type, they are the go down with the ship. Okay, they are loyal to the institutions and the people that they align themselves with. Okay. They're also called the guardian because they, were fear they will fiercely protect and guard okay, that which they believe in, the people that they believe in, um, the institutions that they believe in and align themselves with. So the core fear for sixes is fear itself. Okay? Um, sixes, when they're unhealthy, they kind of live in a constant state of fear. The thing that they are attempting to make sure does not come true is being without support or guidance, uncertainty, Okay? Being alone, blamed, targeted, or physically abandoned. Okay? Sixes want a sure thing, but they know that there's no such thing as a sure thing. So they develop plan A, B, C, D, Z, and they work the plan. Okay? So the core desire is to have security, guidance, and support. I like to kind of use the metaphor of sixes building scaffolding in their lives. Okay? Because they know there's no such thing as a sure thing, they build scaffolding to make sure that the building does not come falling down, crumbling down. Head nod. Okay, so the healthy characteristics. Sixes are the committed, reliable, responsible, friendly, hardworking. They're the cooperative, kind-hearted people. Um, they can be very enduring, like I said, go down with the ship. They're responsible and supportive. Okay, when they're unhealthy, these are unfortunately, the worry warts of the world, okay? They're worst-case scenario thinkers, and this can come across as pessimistic or negative, right? They can be overly dependent, okay? They really struggle with self-doubt, and so it's like, well, I don't know. You tell me who I am, okay? Overly dependent on other people. Um, they can be defensive, doubting, self-doubt in particular, hypervigilant. Did I shut off the iron? I don't know. Well, we're already an hour down the road on our road trip. We should turn around and go make sure that the iron got shut off. Okay? They can be indecisive, fluctuating back and forth, I don't know, and suspicious of others and other institutions that they don't necessarily align with. Yeah, it can be, right? And you'll probably notice that there are some um, words or characteristics that are in the negative or unhealthy category, but they could be used for good in the healthy category, right? Perfectionistic for ones. That was in the unhealthy characteristics. Hey, people, you want your, our bridge builders and our heart surgeons to be perfectionistic. One of our best friends, he's a heart surgeon, he's a one, and I'm like, you are in the right profession. Thank you for being a cardiac surgeon. <laughs> Because you don't want your heart surgeons to not be perfectionistic, okay? Sorting question for sixes. Do you frequently worry about what could go wrong and try to plan ahead to subvert any and every possible negative outcome, okay? The worst case scenario thinkers, and so sixes are the ones that show up with snacks in their purse when you have toddlers, okay? They've got the first aid kit under the sink and probably in the car 
making sure that the worst case scenario does not happen, right? Hey, do you have a story, Sixes? She's like, I am hot, nodding my head like crazy. Um, I actually am finding myself in one of my worst case scenarios because my husband and I just listed our house for sale in a crazy market. We moved in with my in-laws, and so you could imagine the amount of worry and um, kind of dysregulation I feel at the moment, constant, like worst case scenario, we're gonna have to move back in, what are we gonna do? Like, just constant right now. So that's okay. kind of a classic, yeah. yeah. It's a volatile market, real estate market, and you don't know which way it's gonna go. Okay, thanks. All right, let's look at sevens. We gotta keep trucking, because I wanna get to the good stuff too. Oh yeah, brown. Okay, here's a fun fact. Um, brown kind of communicates like stability when you think of nature, like the tree trunks of the world. Um, sixes also, most Enneagram experts believe that there are more sixes in the world than any other type. Some Enneagram experts believe that over 50% of the world's population are sixes. Fun fact. Um, so brown is just kind of that stable, responsible, yeah. Right, right, fear factor, totally, totally, you got it. Okay, sevens, sevens are called the enthusiast or the adventurer, we have no sevens, but there's a yellow coat at the seven table, which is interesting because the color for sevens is yellow. Okay, they're called the enthusiast or the adventurer because they see something that grabs their attention and they're enthusiastic, okay? They're always up for an adventure, okay? So the core fear for sevens is being deprived, trapped in emotional pain, somehow limited, bored, or missing out on something exciting. FOMO is real for sevens, okay? And so they're often the ones that are like, absolutely, I'm going to go to all of those events in one night. So I will check maybe. Just in case something better comes along, I don't want to miss out, okay? Also, don't limit a, a, a seven, we currently have a housemate who's a seven, and he's like, you know, I need to do a new job every two years. I cannot stay in maintenance mode. And I'm like, I get it. For a seven, they need something that's going to um, capture their attention in the next thing, okay, the next exciting thing. Uh, the core desire is to be happy, satisfied, content, keep their options open, right? Try new things and escape internal pain and anxiety. Sevens don't want to pay attention to maybe the emotional darkness that they're experiencing on the inside, and so they flee to the outside world and accumulate experience in order to kind of minimize or dismiss or not pay attention to what's going on on the inside. Make sense? Let's look at healthy. When they're healthy, these are the curious, risk-taking adventurers. They can be very accomplished, optimistic, strategic, but when they're unhealthy, they can deny, rationalize, oh, it's not that bad. Um, undisciplined, they can kind of flit from one thing to the next. Scattered, like a butterfly, you know, like never finally landing anywhere. Um, they can be compulsive and overextended. And the sorting question, do you continually seek out new and stimulating places, people, and experiences to keep life exciting and moving forward? If the answer is yes, you might be a seven, okay? They're constantly kind of leaning towards that which is exciting, stimulating, and um, adventurous. The color is yellow because the sun will come out tomorrow, right? It was probably written by a seven. They're half glass full people. Very optimistic, kind of looking at the lighter side of life. But we also know the kind of ugly underbelly of that, the unhealthy characteristics, is they can minimize like the hard stuff of life. 
the tragedies of life, right? Okay, anybody feeling seven-ish? We have a vacant table. All right. Okay, they're not here. I get it. There are more exciting things things that they are engaging in. (laughs) All right, let's look at eights. Eights are called the challenger or the boss, okay? They're called the challenger because they love challenging themselves and other people, okay? Rising up to a challenge. They're also called the boss because they, great, they make great leaders, okay? They can take command of a situation. Um, they can lead people into all kinds of endeavors. The core fear is being weak, powerless, harmed, controlled, manipulated, or put in a vulnerable spot. Vulnerability is the key term for eights, okay? When eights discover their vulnerability and lean into their vulnerability and kind of allow themselves to be vulnerable, that's when they bring their best contribution to the table. So the core desire is to protect oneself, be self-reliant, and have an impact on the world, okay? They don't want to be seen as weak, and they don't want to be put in a vulnerable spot. So eights will um, do whatever it takes to make sure that their weakness and their vulnerability is not shown, okay? When they're healthy, eights show up as directing, determined, powerful, self-mastering, hardworking, decisive. Eights know what they want and they go after it, okay? Decisive. Uh, they can be very protective of the underdog oftentimes. Um, when, they, when they see somebody who is in a vulnerable spot, eights will come around and kind of like protect and, and guard. Um, they can be very tough, self-confident, resourceful, and assertive. But when they're unhealthy, the other side of that, they can be territorial. Okay, this is my land. <laughs> um, they can be disconnected, proud, intimidating. They show up and it's like, whoa, I just got steamrolled by that eight. Okay, they can be aggressive, right? The, the kind of high side of eights is assertiveness, the low side of eights is aggressiveness. Okay, they can be controlling and autonomous. The sorting question for eights is, do you have a strong exterior, one that is sometimes intimidating, that hides a less visible but vulnerable interior? I like to say hard outer shell, soft gooey center. And if you are lucky enough to see and experience the soft gooey center, the vulnerability of an eight, count yourself lucky. Okay? Do we have a story from eight land? Um, so my family or coming into my like in-laws family, it was interesting (laughs) because they're very like open and bubbly or my mother-in-law was and my father-in-law was very introverted and, you know, more of a shell kind of person, but they always said that their favorite thing about me was cracking the shell and cracking the the inside. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah, sometimes I do intimidate people and they're a little scared of me. Many people have told me they're scared of me. Which I never totally understood because I think I'm a very friendly person. Right, right. (laughs) Eights are like, I'm not intimidating. Why are you intimidated by me? I'm just showing up. (laughs) And it also doesn't help that I'm so tall. People are like, whoa. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, oh, yeah, I see that a lot. Okay. The color for eights is red because remember the, like, uh, bull in the uh, Spain? What's that called? Running with the bulls? Okay, the red color, right, aggression. Um, Red is a power color, and eights can come across as very powerful. It's not a story, but if you ask my sister, she would probably just describe all of those as bossy. I've been called bossy my whole life. Yep. Okay. Let's go to nines, because we have a posse over there. 
Nines are called the peacemaker or the utopian, okay? They're called the peacemaker because more than any other type, they're committed to the quest for internal and external peace, okay? Internal peace and external peace in relationships and circumstances around them. They're also called the utopian because they have a utopic world in mind, and they are working towards that utopic world. Um, The core fear is being disconnected, in conflict or tension, shut out, discordant, overlooked, or inharmonious, okay? They want harmony in all of life. So the core desire, the other side of that same coin, is to have inner stability, peace of mind, serenity, and to escape unsettling problems, okay? Oftentimes, nines, their struggle is with sloth. And this is Enneagram 501, 801, all that kind of stuff. But the struggle for nines is sloth. And it can show up like laziness, like Netflix on the couch for days, but it can also show up in not being present to themselves because they're trying to escape that unpeaceful, uh, unsettling, inharmonious situation that's happening inside themselves and potentially outside in their relationships. So the healthy characteristics of nines, if you can click, is when they're in a good place, when they're present and aware, They're patient, easygoing. These are like the steady eddies of the world, okay? They can be incredibly kind-hearted, healing, listening, self-effacing, mediating, and trusting. Sometimes people go to nines because they make incredible mediators when they're in a good place, when they can mediate the conflict around them. But when they're unhealthy, they're complacent, okay? Disappearing. I like to say nines sometimes just become wallpaper, in situations. It's like, I'm not going to rock the boat. I'm not going to engage in that conflict. I'm just going to disappear into the wall. Okay. They can be stubborn. Okay. Nines have opinions, but they don't make their opinions known. So they dig their heels in. And five days later, you realize that they had an opinion about that situation. The classic example is where would you like to go for dinner? Do you want Mexican or pizza? Okay. Oh, I don't know. You decide. Okay. So you go get pizza and they're like all night long. I wanted Mexican. I wanted tacos, and now I'm eating pizza, and I'm mad about it. Well, oftentimes nines don't, you know, make their opinions known. So the growth path for nines is show up, bring your opinions, rock the boat every once in a while, right? So they can be angry, avoid conflicts, passive and passive aggressive, okay, and minimizing because, again, they don't want to um, engage in conflict or tension, so they can kind of minimize those things. The sorting question, do you naturally gravitate towards positive people but get distressed when you are around negativity, anger, and conflict? If the answer is yes, then you might be a nine. Okay, we got a whole posse over there. What would you like to share about nineness? Just one person, whoever puts their hands up first, you get a short story. Fine. Okay, marrying my husband and then having children talk about being in conflicts and tension all the time because they are not me and so motherhood and marriage has been like the biggest stressor and like place of conflict inwardly that I'm trying I always try to avoid you know like someone's mad at me like all I want to do is eject like I don't want to be here like "Ah." Um, there you go escape yep okay Thank you. The color for nines is gray because nines just want to kind of gray out. Okay. I don't want to deal with the problem. I'm just going to kind of gray out into the background. Okay. So again, the growth path is show up, 
bring your full self, bring your opinion, bring your presence, okay? Presence is the virtue for nines, being fully present and fully showing up, okay? You guys, this happens all the time, but here we are running out of time. And I'm going to, can you hand out the handouts? Okay. We have gone around the horn. We've covered all nine Enneagram types. We didn't have any shifters and movers. Is anybody, oh, she's doing it. Round of applause. Round of applause. Oh, we got a four. We got a four. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I want to be more like my unique self. Good. Okay. So I'm just going to briefly talk about this and you get to take this into your relationships. This is now kind of where the rubber hits the road in terms of the Enneagram and the power of the Enneagram in relationships. Interpersonal relationships are the fabric of our lives. It's not actually cotton. It's interpersonal relationships, right? And so we're going to talk about what's called the pinch crunch model, okay? Here's the deal. Each of us, um, we know that relationships, and Catherine, sorry, if you can click to the next one, (laughs) she is running. You get all the gold stars today. (laughs) Hey, will you tell us your Enneagram type? Counterphobic six. Okay, we didn't really talk about that, but she would be over here at the six table, okay? I know. Okay, so uh, sixes, they're the only type on the Enneagram where there's kind of two different ways of nuancing their fear. There's what's called phobic sixes and counterphobic sixes, okay? Phobic sixes, when they see something that causes them fear, they run from it, okay? They turn away from it and they kind of uh, try to escape it. Counterphobic sixes, which is what Catherine is saying, when they see something that causes them fear, they go towards it and they attempt to overcome it as a way of proving to themselves that it doesn't actually cause them fear. Okay. Two different types of sixes. There are more phobic sixes than counterphobic sixes in the world, but you can tell the difference based off of how they respond to that question. When they see something that causes them fear, do you run away from it or do you go towards it and attempt to overcome it as a way of proving to yourself? So phobic or counterphobic? Sometimes it's a mixture of both. Yep. Okay. Great. And Catherine's feeling pretty counterphobic six. Okay. That's, that's a nuance. That's Enneagram 301 for you all in the sixth table. And that's only true of sixes, okay? That's the only type where that is um, accurate. Okay, pinch crunch model. Here's the thing about, uh, we're, we're talking about conflict. <laughs> Nines are like, I can't wait. Okay, pinch crunch model. Uh, conflict is a reality in all interpersonal relationships. So here's how we take the Enneagram into our interpersonal relationships, which naturally have conflict, okay? If you look up here at this kind of diagram, okay, every relationship starts up with a sense of hope, okay? We met our spouses and the sun was shining, okay? It was a glorious day, right? And then there's a reason why the honeymoon happens right after the wedding, right? Okay? You have a sense of grace, like, oh, maybe there's a few things that are a little annoying or, oh, that person, you know, just kind of bothered me, but we're still in that honeymoon period, Okay? But then, inevitably, every relationship, whether it's your spouse, your family, your coworker, your neighbor, okay, little irritations okay, start to happen. These are things that we call pinches. Okay? These are things that elicit the response, you should not have done that. Okay? They pinch you. And according to your Enneagram type, they're, um, they're 
kind of assigned to how it affects your core fear and core desire, right? Because what are we measuring when we talk about the Enneagram? Motivation, okay? And so if something kind of pinches you, it typically is the, um, the core fear becoming a reality or the threat of your core fear becoming a reality, okay? Or your core desire being thwarted, right? So it's not exact math, but typically three pinches adds up to what we call a crunch. This is a more major conflict, okay? After a pinch or two happens, we start doing this. We avoid, right? It's like, I'm not going to be put on that project with that person. Or I'm going to avoid particular conversations or scenarios where I would be pinched again because it elicits that response. You should have not done that, okay? After too many of those... Again, it's not exact arithmetic, but three pinches equals a crunch. After too many of those, we typically leave. These are the firings. These are the, I'm, you know, separating from you. I'm divorcing. I'm, you know, leaving the relationship. And then we typically start over, but with a sense of hostility. What did I leave out in this diagram? There was one thing that I left out. What was it? Yeah, that's important. But what I left out here was constructive conversation, right? So what I'm equipping you with is the vocabulary for a constructive conversation, right? So after you kind of get into a pinch situation, we can allow those to accumulate. We can start avoiding. We can get into a crunch situation. We can leave the relationship. And the cycle continues in a maddening sort of way. We get into these cycles, right? What the pinch crunch model is really doing is equipping you with a constructive conversation. So we have literally three minutes. <laughs> Sorry. I would love for you all to look at your pinches and crunches for your unique type and just have a very brief conversation with people at your table, okay? Again, this is equipping you with understanding of what pinches you and why. And I'd love for you to um, answer the question if you can skip two ahead, Catherine. <clears throat> Just simply ask what pinch stings you the most according to your type? How do you typically react? And what have you learned that has helped you respond well to pinches? Okay? This is just an opportunity to converse with other people in your type group and start having a conversation. Okay? Hey, I know that we are at the time limit. Thank you, ladies, for coming. Um, I pray that this tool is simply sharpened as it is added to your tool belt. I kind of do this image. Um, may you wield this with wisdom and grace. Um, give yourself grace and compassion as you see yourself more clearly. And I trust that you um, will bring this into all of life, into your relationships. Bring this home and have a conversation with your husbands, with your partners, with your parents, you know, with your, with your closest friends, and allow this to inform your personal and spiritual development. So I'll just say amen, because we are out of time. <laughs> okay. <laughs>